So, turn to 1 Peter 1, 1. We're going to cover the first four words of 1 Peter this morning. Actually, in English, it's, it's six words. In Greek, it's just four words. Petros, Apostolos, Jesus Christu. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at, at Peter's life. Peter wasn't the name that his mother gave him. Peter's mother called him Simeon, or the, uh, the Hellenized form, Simon. Peter was the name that Jesus gave to him. And it means rock. We're going to talk about that as we go through, because as we look at Peter's life, he was anything but a rock. He was about the shakiest rock you could imagine. You know, in Scripture, rock, it stands for something that is solid, something that's secure. You can count on it. You can depend on it. If you've ever been uh, trying to cross a creek by stepping on rocks, you know how important it is that those rocks be stable. Because if you hit one that isn't, you're wet. And again, Peter, his name means rock. Stable one, solid one. When we call somebody, say, that person is a rock. They're, they're solid as a rock, steady as a rock. It means that, that you can count on their character, on their response to any situation to be, to be controlled and moderate. That's not Peter, at least as we see him at first. But what we've got a chance is, is to look at how our Lord grew him up. How our Lord made him a disciple, made him a rock, solid, stable. We know that our Lord did this. The last verse in 1 Peter, the very last thing he writes before he signs off. Just listen to this, 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, solid, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. See, by the end, Peter's God, the God of all grace, had restored him and made him a rock, solid, strong, steadfast. What we want to do this morning is take a look at how God did that, how Peter got there. Well, Peter was born in a small village named Bethsaida on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida means fisherman's home. It was a fishing village. Everyone that lived there were fishermen and families of fishermen. Peter's father, John, was a fisherman. Peter grew up on a, on a fishing boat. That's all he knew. He knew fishing. Now, we uh, don't really know what kind of uh, kid... Peter was, but looking at what kind of adult he was, you could kind of guess. I don't know, but my strong suspicion, were Peter alive today, had he gone to school in this day and age, he would have been diagnosed as ADHD. And Peter acted first, thought second. That was Peter. Peter had a good heart, a sweet heart, a sensitive heart. But what came into his head came out his mouth or out his actions. That was his, 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 his character. Peter was the one who would always blurt out what everybody else was thinking. Peter would always argue with Jesus when he didn't like what Jesus was saying. Peter was the guy that jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus walking on the water. 
Incidentally, that was one of the uh, times Peter really was a rock. He sank like a rock (laughs) until Jesus grabbed him, pulled him up. Peter was the guy that chopped off the the guy's ear when they came to arrest Jesus. Again, he acts first, thinks second. Later on, uh, after the, the, the resurrection, Peter's fishing. Thinks he sees Jesus on the shore. Peter's the one that dove out of the boat and started swimming for shore. Peter was always out there. Had what we would call low impulse control. He thought it, he did it. Realize that's not a bad thing for a fisherman. That's a hard thing for a kid who has to sit in a classroom for six hours a day. But for a kid on a fishing boat, that's a great thing. He could row harder. He could throw a net farther. He could, he could clean a fish quicker than anybody else there. He was always pushing to go farther. You know, kids with ADHD really have a heart to, to, to please their friends and the people they're around. And they're always trying to outdo. They're trying to go out farther. And on a fishing boat, that's a great asset. And that was Peter. Peter was always out there ahead of the other disciples. What they only thought, Peter did. That was was Peter's character, to try to outdo them all. Anyway, that's part of the reason I like Peter so much. I don't uh, like to get too autobiographical up here. But my guess is, had I been in school these days, I would have also been diagnosed ADHD. My poor mother had to sit and listen to the teacher tell that uh, her son doesn't play well with the other kids. It's a little too rough. I spent a good percentage of my elementary school years in the principal's office. To be honest with you, I don't think I had ADHD. I think I had SKS, stupid kid syndrome. (laughs) It's where the uh, principal looks at you, shaking his head and said, why did you do that? And you answer, answer honestly, I don't know, it just seemed like the thing to do. But anyway, I look at Peter, and I am greatly encouraged. Look what God did with Peter. Look what he can do with me. And you moms and dads who have children with low impulse control, look at what God did with Peter. Look what God can do with your child. God has great plans for your son or your daughter. Anyway, Peter grew up into a man with very thick calluses on his hands from pulling those ropes and those nets. He had uh, deep lines in his skin from the sun. Peter was a master fisherman. He knew fish. He was wise, skilled in the ways of the sea. His brother Andrew and he had grown up and taken over the family business, had gone into partnership with Zebedee and his two sons, James and John. Together they owned quite a few boats, had several hired men help them run the boats. Then one day, Andrew, Peter's brother, who had been off following John the Baptist, came back and he grabbed Peter and he said, Peter, we've found the Messiah. We don't know how Peter felt about that. He may have just thought, ah, here's Andrew, another one of his wild chases. He always goes after one religious fanatic after another. But Andrew dragged him to see Jesus. This is what we call the first call of Peter. This is the first time Jesus told Peter that he'd have another name. John John 1, 42. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon. Son of John, 
you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus said, follow me. Now, we don't know what happened immediately after. Jesus went up to Cana, changed the water into the wine. We know there were a couple of disciples with him, but we don't know if Peter was one of those. All we know is that about six months later, Peter was back in Galilee, back on his boat, fishing. Been out all night fishing, caught nothing. Jesus went up to Galilee. Jesus was up there and he started uh, teaching. And while he was there, he uh, asked Peter if he could use his boat to teach from. The crowds were, were all crowded around. And Peter, who was very polite, who respected these religious types and wanted to be helpful and uh, supportive in his own way, said, sure, can you use, use my boat. See, uh, Peter respected Jesus. He thought, you know, here's one of those holy men and I can, I can treat him with uh, respect but we don't know. Maybe, maybe the reason Peter was back up there is because he wasn't all that impressed with Jesus. Or maybe he was impressed, but there was work that needed to be done. So he got back to work. Pretty much forgot over the months of his uh, conversation with Jesus. And then something happened that changed everything. Let me, let me just read for you from uh, Luke 5. This is what's referred to as Peter's second call. Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is Peter. He's still going by the name Simon at this point. And Jesus asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Let me uh, stop right there and set this up a a little more before we keep going. Peter had been out all night fishing. They had been blank. He hadn't caught a thing. He was tired. He was discouraged, but you don't put your nets away dirty, no matter what. So he's cleaning the nets. And while he's cleaning his nets, here comes this Jesus guy, and all these people are coming from all over the place. Pretty soon there's a huge crowd. Jesus comes over and asks to get in his boat. Peter says, fine. You know, that's okay. No problem. And then Jesus says, well, can you push out a little from the shore so that I can speak to these people? Okay, Peter can do that. Again, Peter wants to be helpful. He, he, he respects these preacher types. He wants to be supportive. Then after Jesus finished his preaching, Jesus said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I mean, this is a little much. And Peter is a master fisherman. He knows fish. By this time of day, the fish are way too deep to get caught in a net. Besides, he'd been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. Who does this preacher think he is telling him how to fish? The last thing Peter wants to have to do is to clean his nets from scratch all over again. Where does this guy get off telling Peter how to fish? I mean, religion is fine, but religion is religion and business is business. 
This guy's going way too far messing with Peter's business. Now, many of us started with Jesus this way. And we uh, maybe uh, heard of him, maybe uh, even are respectful, polite about it. But business is business, and religion is religion. I mean, business is about real stuff. Dollars and cents, and being able to, to buy groceries and pay mortgages. Religion, I mean, who understands that stuff anyway? And maybe at some point in your life, you met Jesus. And it was good. It was a positive thing. But business was calling. Life was calling. You needed to get back on with it. And you got back into it. And with time, kind of forgot about that uh, conversation, that encounter with Jesus. Well, that's where I think Peter was. But Peter's about to learn one of the most fundamental, one of the most important lessons you could ever learn. Listen to what uh, happens Next, First of all, Peter, I think, was pretty skeptical. He didn't like what Jesus was asking him to do. Uh, he uh, probably felt, well, doggone it. I want to respect this guy, but I don't want to clean my nets. This goes against everything, that, uh, that all of my experience, all of my common sense. But he says, and this is important, he says, but because you say so. I will do it. Because you say so, I will do it. Peter obeyed Jesus. Look what happens. When they had let their nets down, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, what's the lesson here? It's a lesson here. If you obey Jesus, you'll get rich. I mean, Jesus will make your business prosper. No, because if that was the lesson, Peter's response would have been, great, let's do that again. He would have signed Jesus up immediately as his partner. That isn't what, Jesus, or what Peter did. What Peter did is to fall on his face on the bottom of a boat that was filled with slimy, flopping, stinking fish, to grab Jesus by the knees and say, Please, go away from me. I am a sinful man. Why did Peter respond like that? Because Peter caught a glimpse of who Jesus was. He caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory. And it overwhelmed him. It exposed him. Frightened him. How did this happen? Peter, in spite of the fact that that he didn't particularly want to, that it didn't particularly seem reasonable, he obeyed Jesus. He took that step, even 
skeptically. He took that step. And as a result of obeying Jesus, he caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory, a glimpse of who Jesus was. When that happens to us, it's a very complex response. The first response is to feel exposed, to to feel like, "Uh uh-oh, he can see my heart, and my heart wasn't very pure. Peter felt, this guy's got to know that I really didn't believe him. He felt shame. He felt, if Jesus sees me as I am, how could he ever accept me? Jesus says to Peter, Don't be afraid. It's okay. I accept you. Now, once he saw that acceptance from Jesus, do you think Peter still wanted Jesus to go away? No, not at all. Not at all. Once he saw that Jesus saw him as he was and still loved him, all he wanted was to be with Jesus. That's why he and the other uh, fishermen left absolutely everything they had. They left their boats. They left everything. Suddenly, Peter wanted to be with Jesus more than he wanted anything else in the whole world. More than he wanted fishing. He wanted more of Jesus. You see, that's the way it works. That's one of the most fundamental things to learn in life. When Jesus calls us and he asks us to do something, something we may not want to do, that may not even seem realistic to us, but Jesus is asking us to do it. We trust him. We take a step. We obey and we catch a glimpse of who he really is. It's overwhelming. We feel exposed. We want to run. But when we see that he still loves us, But He sees you exactly as you are. And He loves you. Then what we want is more of Him. We want Him. We want to be with Him more than we want anything else in the world. That's the way that it works. And it all starts because we say, because you say so, I will do it. From that point on, Peter follows Jesus constantly, consistently. He's learned the first key to becoming a rock. But there's an awful lot more that Peter needed to learn. He learned that the growth process was hard. It was painful. He learned that God can be pretty rough. And that being rebuked, that is being Being confronted with our failures and our own weaknesses and our own sins is part of that growth process. Peter was rebuked often. Peter was rebuked quite a few times. One time Peter was actually rebuked directly by God the Father himself. That must have been overwhelming. Peter and uh, James and John were with Jesus on top of a mountain. Suddenly uh, uh, Moses and Elijah were there. Now, these are the greatest of all time. This, is, this for us would be like if Abraham Lincoln and George Washington were standing up here with me. I mean, these guys were the greats. And, and, and Peter is blown away. He is overwhelmed. And Peter, when he is blown away and overwhelmed, what does Peter do? He acts. He jumps up and starts talking. In Mark's account, Peter himself basically says he didn't know what he was talking about, but he started talking. And as soon as he opens his mouth, 
is what we're told. A cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. You see, Peter was so impressed with Moses and Elijah. And God said, whoa, wait a minute. This is my son. This is Jesus. He's the one that you should be impressed with. And you've had him with you all along. Peter was brought up short. Probably the most painful, the most the stinging, most stinging rebuke that Peter ever received came right after one of his greatest moments. Jesus and the apostles, the disciples, were talking about some things. And Jesus was asking them, who does everybody say I am? And they were telling him. And finally Jesus says, well, now who do you say that I am? And immediately Peter jumps in. says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now here's one of the few times that Peter blurted out the right answer. Peter had caught a glimpse, had begun to see Jesus as he was. And that, was, that, was, that felt good to Jesus. That was affirming to Jesus. So Jesus affirms Peter, and he affirms that Simon is a rock. He affirms that he will use this rock as one of the foundation stones of the church that Jesus is building throughout the ages. But again, think how that must have felt to Peter. I mean, Peter was usually in trouble. Here he is at the head of the class. I mean, he must have felt like he was on a roll. He was in the groove. He was in a zone. And then what happens? From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said, Peter, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I think about how Peter's emotions must have crashed. And here he goes from the greatest affirmation of his life to uh, one of the most stinging rebukes in just a matter of seconds. He must have just plummeted. Get behind me, Satan. And it almost sounds like Jesus is calling Peter Satan. What's going on here is that Peter had learned that Jesus is the Son of God, but he hadn't really thought through what that means. See, that means that Jesus is to be trusted, that he sets the agenda. Jesus is to be obeyed. And Peter 
in ignoring these implications, in, in trying to, to think it through himself and get a grip on it himself, he, he kind of steps in, tries to take charge, says, no, that's a bad plan, Jesus. We're going to have another, a better plan. We're not going to go with your plan. It's a bad one. And unwittingly, without meaning to, he's placing himself against Jesus. He's being an unwitting tool of the enemy to try to, 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 to damage, to lessen Jesus' resolve, to do something that's very hard for Jesus to do, and that's to go to the cross, suffer separation from his Father for us, to die on the cross for our sins. Again, think of how that must have felt to Peter. Peter's heart hasn't changed. He still loves Jesus. It's just that he needed to relearn that Jesus is Lord. Jesus his boss. Jesus is to be obeyed and trusted. And you see, when we lose sight of that, and we try to grab control ourselves, when we say, no, that's a bad plan, God. This is a better plan. We're not going to do it your way. Unwittingly, we become destructive. We become damaging to other people, to God's plans. We become, in that sense, a, a tool of the enemy. Again, that's, that's where Peter was. You see, one of the things that Peter learned in this incident is that following Jesus is hard, and it hurts. When our sin, when our foolishness, when our short-sightedness, when our shortcomings are exposed, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, it's painful. But following Jesus involves hurt. And for Peter, that was a lesson he learned all through his life. It's not only that, that type of hurt, but there was physical hurt. Peter was beaten several times. Peter was jailed several times. Life was tough for Peter. But life is tough for us, too. People we love get cancer. Kids, our kids, rebel. Our hearts get broken. Things happen in our lives that we just absolutely don't understand. They hurt us. And if we choose to walk with Jesus, we'll have to face our own sins and our own shortcomings over and over again as he teaches us. As he shows us his love in the midst of them. And that hurts. That is painful. But there's two more lessons that, that Peter learned that really turn all this around. First one was in John 6. And Jesus has been teaching everybody some very hard things. And like almost always happens when Jesus puts hard things on the table, people get upset. People walked away. They get disgusted. They're not going to put up with this anymore. The disciples themselves were struggling. So Jesus turns to them and says, Are you guys going to leave too? And again, Peter jumps out and speaks. Peter says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is so important. From our side of the relationship with God, this is one of the most critical things you can learn. Just hang in there. Don't walk away. See, life is hard. Growth is painful. 
facing our own shortcomings and sins is crushing. In the midst of these things, usually the thing we want is out. But there's no place else to go. Most of us, many of us, became Christians thinking that would smooth life out. But it doesn't. It makes life better. But it sure doesn't insulate us from the pain. In fact, we're called to walk into the pain, to walk through the pain, to be honest about the pain. And when we experience pain, we have a very natural aversion response. We want to run, to get out. But here's the thing. There's no place to go. Every place that we would run to, except for Jesus, doesn't give what our hearts want. Ends up unhealthy, destroying us. There's no life there. Because there's life only in Jesus. He's the only place to run. We keep running to all kinds of other places. We run to food, thinking that will escape, that will satisfy. But it doesn't satisfy. We... uh, Run to busyness. Uh, This is a big one for us. We run, absorb ourselves in in, in our work. Or we absorb ourselves in our recreation. Uh, That's one that's real common around here. We just get so busy that there's no time to feel. No time to think. And we have very healthy sounding excuses. But they're just excuses to avoid God. Sometimes we run to things that aren't so healthy. We run to sexual lust. We run to uh, alcohol, to chemical dependence. We run to our TVs. We run even to good causes. You can lose yourself in a good cause. But again, all it is is a way of avoiding God inside. Because we know that that if we walk with Him, it's going to hurt. We don't want to hurt. We're afraid of Him. And sometimes we're mad at him and we want to hurt him back. But again, as we do this, there's no life. There's no satisfaction. There's no peace. There's no joy. It hurts us. It's like kicking a board with nails sticking out of it. It's like, like uh, trying to beat an overgrown rose bush with your fists. It just tears you apart. When we run from God, When we fight with God, we're just hurting ourselves. Blessed are those who recognize this, who reconcile themselves to this, who who, who, uh, yield to this quickly, who come out the other side of pain, seeing God's goodness, seeing His wisdom. God can be trusted, but God has to be trusted. There's no other way. Because we can't see around corners. We can't see the future. And there's no way to, go, to get through it than to trust Him. And there's no one else to run to. Because there is no one else who has life. Woody Allen is reported to have said, 90% of life is just showing up. Well, when it comes to our relationship with God, maybe 90% of life is just hanging on and hanging in there and letting Him do what He will do.
The final, most important lesson that Peter learned was how much his Lord loved him. Probably the hardest, most painful time in Peter's life was the crucifixion. Just hours before Jesus uh, was arrested, he, got, he spoke to his disciples. He said, listen, I'm going to be arrested. All of you will abandon me. I want you to know this in advance because after it happens, you're going to be restored. Peter said, whoa, whoa. It's not going to happen, Jesus. These guys may do it, but I'm never going to abandon you. I'm never going to deny you. Peter looks at or Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, and before the cock crows, you're going to disown me three times. Peter says, absolutely not. It isn't going to happen. Well, we know the story. That uh, sitting there in the courtyard with the servants of the high priest, Peter denies Jesus three times. He hears the cock crow and he sees them leading Jesus off and their eyes meet and he sees the pain, the hurt in Jesus' eyes. Man, that must have been horrible for Peter. Just imagine just the crushing weight of that. A couple hours later, Jesus is dead. There's no chance to make it up to him. No opportunity even to apologize. Peter must have been desperate. On Sunday morning, one of the, uh, or some of the women show up having been to the grave and uh, report that the grave is empty and Mary says that she saw Jesus. Jesus had appeared to Mary. The next thing that Jesus does is to look up Peter. Jesus appeared to Peter because Jesus cared about what Peter was going through. Jesus loved Peter. And then later on, just shortly, right before his ascension, Jesus goes up, appears in Galilee, back by the Sea of Galilee. And there he finds Peter in his boat, fishing. And Peter went back to what he knew. Peter was probably discouraged. He was delighted that Jesus had come back to life. But he felt that there was no way he was qualified to follow Jesus. He had lost his shot at it. He had blown his chance. So he's out, he and the other disciples, or several of the other disciples, James and John at least, were out uh, fishing. They'd fished all night, and again, they hadn't caught anything. And they're coming in. And there's somebody up on the shore shouts out, you know, throw your nets in again. I don't know why, but they threw their nets in again. As soon as they did that, the nets filled with fish, and John immediately knew who it was. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And no sooner... As he said that, and then you hear a splash because Peter's swimming for the shore. He gets there. Jesus had been cooking some fish. Jesus gives him some fish to eat. And Peter, or then Jesus takes Peter aside. Three times he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He asks him once for each of the times that Peter denied his Lord. And each time Peter's response is, Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my sheep. And finally, after the whole conversation, Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, follow me. See, what Jesus was doing, this is the third call of Peter. Jesus was reaffirming that call. Peter felt disqualified. Peter wasn't a rock. He was a a spineless traitor. 
his, his feelings, his thoughts. How could Jesus love him? That encounter, that conversation with Jesus convinced Peter beyond any doubt that Jesus did love him. You see, that was the thing that turned Peter into a rock. was because at the bedrock of his soul, he knew that Jesus loved him. After this, in the uh, 35 years that Peter lived um, between the ascension and Peter's death, Peter was still Peter. He still messed up. Uh, one time Paul had to rebuke him to his face. Peter uh, appreciated that loving rebuke. Peter still struggled to put into practice the things that Jesus had taught him. But Peter was a rock. Peter became the, the one of the, the, the central leaders one of the, the foundation stones of the church that Jesus was building on him and the other apostles. And this is the Peter that wrote the book that we're studying. And as we go through, we'll see the lessons that Peter learned coming out over and over in the things that he wrote. Peter learned that by obeying Jesus, we catch a glimpse of his glory. And as we catch a glimpse of who he is and see his love, we want him. We want to be with him. Peter learned that uh, life is hard. It's painful. Walking with the Lord is tough at times. But there's nowhere to run. There is no other way than to trust and obey. And finally and ultimately, the thing that turned Peter into a rock was that Peter learned that Jesus loved him. And that Jesus was faithful no matter what Peter did or didn't do. Again, let me just read that last verse of 1 Peter right before the uh, salutation. Peter wrote, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, solid, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the lesson Peter has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, Peter's life and all that you've told us about it throughout your word. We thank you for Peter's letter that shows us the things that he learned, that teaches us what you taught him. But Lord, ultimately, we learn these things from your hands as we walk with you, as we risk obeying you, as we recognize that as hard and as confusing as life gets, that every place else we run is a dead end, that only you, running to you, is where we find life. And ultimately, Lord, as we walk with you, we have a chance to see how much you really love us you don't protect us from the hard things. You don't protect us from seeing ourselves as much as we want to avoid that. But you love us in the midst of these things, in the midst of who we are. Lord, teach us this lesson as we go through Peter. May we trust you and obey you. I pray this in your name. Amen.